Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. Now, if you're hunkered down at home, it might be a good time to check out our course platform at onecommune.com, where you'll find programs from Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, Russell Brand, Wim Hof, Brendan Burchard, Adrian Mishler, and many other brilliant personal development and wellness luminaries. Our courses span yoga, meditation, spiritual development, functional medicine, recovery, and social impact. Essentially, everything you need to be holistically well. Just go to onecommune.com. Now, if you are one of the superheroes on the front line right now, a healthcare worker, medical professional, a food provider, a scientist, or a government worker, God bless you. And I know you will be stressed to your limits psychologically and physically. Even 30 seconds of deep breathing and grounding can help you stay centered and focused. We need you and we support you. So if you are someone on the front lines and could benefit from a meditation course on your phone in your pocket, just email me at jeffk at onecommune.com and I'll make sure that you're set up. Yoga Nidra is a state in which the body is completely relaxed. While it's often referred to as yogic sleep, it should not be confused with sleep. It is among the deepest possible states of relaxation while still maintaining full consciousness. Its goal, like meditation, is a state of meditative consciousness called samadhi, a union with the divine and a transcendence of self. That sounds pretty good right now, doesn't it? Well, my guest on today's show can help you get there. Tracy Stanley has been studying yoga and tantra since 1995. Since 2004, the focus of her teaching has been yoga nidra, meditation, self-empowerment, sankalpa, or intention, and self-inquiry. She utilizes the unique practices of the Himalayan masters and revelations from her own human experience to guide students towards their true nature, one that is full of truth, wisdom, and bliss. And I am quite lucky to have her as a neighbor here in Topanga, which must explain why I'm in a constant state of serene bliss. If you want to join me, Tracy has a course on Commune called Deep Relaxation. Just go to onecommune.com slash course and you'll find it. I hope you enjoy our conversation. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. My name is Tracy Stanley, and I was brought up uh, on Long Island. And I would say the quickest way for me to tell you where and how I got to where I am right now is I was sitting on a balcony in South Africa watching the sunrise one morning and everything suddenly got very still and quiet 
And in a moment, I felt like I had answers to some questions that I had been asking myself for a long time. And I didn't know what had happened, but I knew that something really special and profound had happened that I couldn't give a name to. Um, And I started to ask around and tell people what it I had felt during that time, and eventually I found someone who led me to a number of books, Um, and we went into a spiritual bookstore, which was kind of like the South African version of the Bodhi tree. Um, For those of you who are old enough to know the Bodhi tree that was in West Hollywood, that was like the seminal um, spiritual bookstore in the country, Um, and I read all these books, uh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, books by Khalil Gibran, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, and I just started to understand that there was something more and that maybe for that one moment up on the balcony that I had gotten a glimpse of what that something more was. And that was what sent me on my journey to start finding out about meditation first. Um, and then yoga, um, cut to me kind of, you know, dabbling a little bit in meditation and yoga and then going into the Bodhi tree and reading, um, a translation of the yoga sutras. And when I read that translation, I realized that I was not doing the yoga that they were talking about in the yoga sutras and that I really wanted to try and find a teacher that could lead me to the promise of what they were talking about in the yoga sutras. So I started to ask around to some of the elders in my community that had been practicing for a really long time. And that kind of sent me on my journey um, of studying and um specifically studying in the lineage of the Himalayan masters and Sri Vidya Tantra. Um, And then I opened a yoga studio. And at that time, I was actually um, a film producer. So my intention was not to teach yoga, but to have a place where uh, people could come and practice. And it would be inclusive and accessible. So I opened the studio on donation And lo and behold, about six months later, I found myself in a teacher training and then teaching yoga and realizing that that was much more uh, fulfilling than producing movies. Mm. Um, And so you can feel the trajectory from there is kind of like continuing to teach more and produce less um, until I finally was able to figure out a way to kind of move um, in a way where I could be more independent in the film world and focus more on yoga. Um, And so that's pretty, that's a short story, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. So when you were in South Africa on that balcony, you obviously weren't a teacher at that juncture. You were a film producer, film executive. What were the questions that you were asking yourself that were revealed in that moment because not everyone is a yoga and meditation teacher or master in fact very few of us are Um, so I'm curious 
were there specific questions? Were there something specific that you were looking for that that what that hadn't been revealed to you on your path hitherto? Yeah, you know, well, first I would say that it was, that was the beginning of the journey, and I actually wasn't a film producer at that time. I was um, modeling in South Africa. That's what I was doing there. And the so I was really young, and the questions that I had were really just more about what what am I here for? You know, why am I here? And what I can tell you was, revealed at that time was something and I you know hard to put it into words but what I could give it what words I can give to it is this idea of uh, that I'm supported Hmm. that there's something bigger than me in the universe that is constantly supporting and guiding and that if I could just become quiet I can tap into that guidance Hmm. and I've read that one of the sutras that came into, I guess, relief for you was 136. And it seems to address a little bit of what you just said around quietness. Can you talk about that sutra and why that was important to you and what then that opened up? Absolutely. So uh, Sutra 136, that was the sutra that I read um, when I read that translation that stood out the most to me. And so the the sutra is Vishoka Ma Joytishmati, which really uh, refers to this idea that there is a light, an eternal light within us that is eternally radiant. And that it is beyond our condition, it's beyond our experience, it is, there's no stain at all on that light, and it's something that exists within all of us. Um, And so part of the practice, uh, especially in the Himalayan tradition, is really to be able to remember that that light is there, and to have, allow yourself to do practices where that light can be revealed. So there's a lot of practices around exploring the cave of the heart, um, bringing in radiance, vishoka practices. Um, and that is, to me, the thing that kind of underlies everything that I teach is that wherever we're going, it doesn't matter if it's a meditation class or yoga nidra practice, that we're always, at least in the back of my mind, is always like, you know, paving the way so that at some point we can, and I'll use the word tenderize, which has kind of been at the tip of my tongue for a couple of months now, to tenderize ourselves so that we can surrender to the point, get quiet enough that we can actually remember that that light is there. Hmm. Yeah, and... how do we recondition our minds, I suppose, to activate that memory? And I ask that um, because I am culpable of having a, a, a distracted mind, not all the time, and I'm cultivating practices that have uh, lessened that. 
but over many, many years, essentially one falls into patterns of distraction, so much so that we don't even notice it. And there's sort of a neuroplasticity component to this that that over all of this time of consistently chasing one external agent or something outside of us for contentment or happiness and jumping from one thought to another, that we actually almost create these rivers in our brain that are patternized, that we become programmed and imprinted. And the effect of that is often anger or jealousy or resentment or rage, or it can be expressed through a series of negative emotions. And in some ways, at least in my own personal experience, I've had to find ways to recondition my mind not to exist in this careless, distracted way. And when I successfully achieve that, then I am able to remember what you so beautifully call that light inside of me. But I'm wondering how you think about the memory. How do you access that memory? Well, it's such a beautiful question because when we think of memory, we connect it to the idea of the mind. And this type of memory that I'm referring to, this and, and when I say remember, right, it, it's not a condition of the mind. It's beyond the mind. Mm. So it's when we start to get caught up in the mind that we start to have problems, as you just really talked about. And it's how do we really surrender and let go of the thinking? Because it's the thinking and the mind that a lot of times we identify with who we are. And so one of the beautiful things about yoga is it actually takes us through a journey um, kind of through the koshas, through the, the layers or the sheaths as they're referred to sometimes that cover the light of the soul. So if you think about this, the, this brilliant, radiant, effulgent, pure, pristine light that is you, and that that has five coverings over it, and the most gross covering being the covering of the physical body, most of us, when we come into yoga, we start to feel like, oh, I'm coming to yoga because I want to stretch or because I want to get strong. And at some point, you start to realize that you're more than just your physical body, that you're actually maybe energy because you start to feel, you know, tingling or sensations or energy moving. And then at some point, you start to realize like, oh, I was, I'm not aware that I'm thinking the same thought over and over and over again. And that's the part where you're talking about, I feel, of the mind, right? That once we become aware that this brain of ours is continually thinking, but you're not your thoughts, then you start to move into a place where you can move more into intuition, um, which takes you into more of a knowing. And that's where you start to kind of tap into this idea of remembering in a different way. So you're remembering almost from um, a soul level as opposed to from a thinking level. 
I was talking to our friend, our mutual friend, Scott Schwenk, the other day, and mm -hmm. almost inadvertently we landed on it, that it's almost like a babushka, you know, those Russian dolls. That right. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's a Russian doll. I, I usually use that. I actually use the Russian dolls in my class to teach the koshas because that's the easiest way for people to think about it. <laughs> I love that. I just actually ordered one um, <laughs> because I, I loved the, the metaphor so much because sometimes it helps us visual people to, to get a sense of deeper understanding around it. Um, and I've also you know, torn apart Michael Singer's book many times and dog-eared it and spilled copious amounts of coffee on it. But it, it's one of the, and I'm talking about The Untethered Soul, um, but mm -hmm. that was the first introduction for me around that notion that I am not my thoughts, that I am not my feelings or emotions, and that there is a place where I can witness those things and not be them. And I think and we can talk about this later, potentially, but the anxiety and the fear that people are feeling right now uh, around our global pandemic, um, that there are tools and techniques to disassociate yourself with actually being that emotion. You can feel it, but it can come and go, and you can witness it. But... Um, but before we, we go down, plunge down the into the depths of coronavirus, um, which of course is pretty much all anyone can think about right now, I want to ask you specifically about Yoga Nidra, because I, I think there's so much fascination with it, and I wonder how you discovered that part of yoga, and what is it, and what is its history, and where does it come from, and how is it useful? Um, well, Yoga Nidra um, is something that I was introduced to in 2001. Um, I wasn't introduced to it by name. I was actually introduced to it through practice with one of my teachers, um, Rod Stryker. And at that time, he was still teaching in L.A., and he had... Um, you know, like satsangs that he was doing, and he would end the satsang with a yoga nidra practice. And I remember very clearly the first time that I did this yoga nidra, that it was so profound, the stillness and the quiet um, was so profound that it reminded me of that day on the balcony. And I also felt that I had tapped into just a different vibration. And I would try everything that I could to hold on to that vibration for as long as I could after class was over. Um, and then I started to try to read as much as I could about it, which at the time there was not a lot that you could read because it, people were not really teaching the practice. The Himalayan tradition was teaching the practice. Um, Rolf Sovic uh, is a teacher of the Himalayan tradition that was uh, regularly teaching these practices. And the Bihar school had uh, a book that was out that people were using, but it wasn't widely taught. Um, and it was much deeper than the best Shavasana that you've ever had, like, you know, on steroids. 
Give me, give me some of that. <laughs> so, you know, I started to kind of mimic uh, what my teacher was doing and not really understanding what the practice itself was, right? So this is what happens a lot of times is we start to parrot teachings where we, we don't really know what it is that we're doing. Um, and... I started to feel like there's something more here. And then slowly but surely, more people started to teach um, more widely. I became familiar then with Dr. Richard Miller, and I got a lot of his uh, books and, and CDs and did a couple of workshops. And so, you know, Yoga Nidra, the first time that Yoga Nidra is actually mentioned in the scriptures, or at least one of the first times, because obviously we don't know exactly because we don't have dates for a lot of these things, um, is in the Devi Mahatma, um, which is part of the Mahabharata. And there's a story there that talks about Vishnu um, being asleep on a cosmic sea, and he's kind of been asleep for thousands of years, and Brahma is basically sleeping inside of his navel. And there are these two demons that come, and the demons are basically starting to fight. They're going to create this war. And Brahma knows that he needs help. But Vishnu is in this deep, deep, dreamless sleep, right? And he can't wake him up. He can't do anything to wake him up. And so what he does is he actually appeals to the goddess and the goddess is the goddess Yoga Nidra, who actually is the goddess of deep, deep, dreamless sleep. And he begs her with this beautiful song that talks about all of her attributes and her lunar qualities and her beauty and her nurturing qualities to please wake up Vishnu. And if you can wake up Vishnu, then Vishnu can help me fight these demons. And then you can also help to put the demons under a spell that will help Vishnu to be able to destroy them. And so this is really the first time that we talk about, you know, Yoga Nidra. So I'd like to just make the distinction between Yoga Nidra as a technique, because that's what we often hear, it's like, oh, I'm going to go and do yoga nidra. But if we think about yoga nidra actually as a goddess who's there to hold, support, and nurture you, then it also kind of shifts what we're, of what we're doing um, away from something that's kind of rote. Yoga nidra is a state of consciousness. Um, which is, you know, somewhere between kind of sleeping and moving into more of a samadhi, right? So we have waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. And then we have the fourth state, which is known as Turiya. And Yoga Nidra is somewhere in between there. So it really is a state of, of consciousness. It's a state of uh, where we move towards no thought. We, we move towards a place of what's called nirvikalpa. Um, so it's the perfect practice for the person who is identified with the mind, 
right? Because part of the practice, as you start to move through the different progressions of being slowly, progressively led through relaxation, is to be able to kind of let go of the thoughts. That's really interesting. So it is, would you say that it elicits a, I suppose, a deep sense of relaxation, but while still maintaining a sense of consciousness? Or it's, I guess it's, it's, it's something that's best felt versus described. But I think it is important that the, the distinction that you're making um, is that it, it is its own state. Correct. Yeah. So the idea, and you might hear many teachers say, to stay awake and aware, right? It's Mm -hmm. not, and one of the things is because it is often described or translated as yogic sleep, sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm going to get to take a yoga nap. I'm just going to use this as a way to fall asleep. And in reality, it's a practice to wake you up to your life. Right. So we train ourselves to become awake and aware as we move through all of the states of consciousness and their transitions, right, so that we can remain awake um, as we move through these deep relaxation, kind of progressive relaxation practices, and then deeper into the practice. Um, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, there's another um, definition of nidra, which is to draw forth from the void. And so where we're moving towards is this place of nirvikalpa, this place where there's an infinite void, but yet you're supported. Mm. So it's, it requires a lot of trust and a lot of surrender because you're really allowing yourself to be held by that which is supportless in itself. Yes. Um, and, and I feel like that's what people, when they really go deep into their practice, that that's actually what they're experiencing. And that's why it feels so profound. Um, is because you get to the place where you can let go of everything. You can let go of the identification with the body. You can let go of the identification of, of your mind and still know that you're supported and still know that you're not going to just, you know, uh, I mean, it's the ultimate partnering with the unknown. Yeah. That's that hard <laughs> because the egoic <laughs> mind wants certainty all the time. It, it incessantly seeks to know the future, um, and in that sense, kind of traps us in um, in distraction and incessant craving, I suppose. Right. I mean, and that that's the beauty of allowing yourself to just let go in a certain regard, and it's. You know, the mind definitely wants to think. It wants to do its thing. Um, But if we can slowly but surely start to let go little by little, there's more and more ease. And it doesn't mean that you have to in order to do the practice right, because there is no right way to do it. Um, 
that you have to be in a state of nirvikalpa or some sort of stage of samadhi. It's really that you just practice being awake to what is arising, noticing it and letting it go. And just the more you do that, the more you're able to um, to have more information uh, and know and feel what do you actually need to feel supported. Yeah. Right, because it's different for all of us. And is this, in order to achieve and access this state, does it need to be facilitated by someone else, by a teacher? No, it doesn't. No. If you if you know the the practice and you've done the practice enough, you can lead yourself through this practice. Mm-hmm. But not for beginners necessarily. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I mean, I feel like the way to do it, and I'm I'm in the midst of uh, I just turned in my manuscript for my book, so this is actually in there. Um, but there is a way that after you do enough guided and led practice, right, because you have to establish yourself in being able to stay awake and aware. Most people who are practicing yoga nidra, um, at least when I hear that they're starting out their practice, a lot of times they say, oh, I fell asleep, I can't stay awake. So you have to be able to start to, you know, decide what do you want to use the practice for? Do you want the practice to give you deep rest and deep relaxation so you can feel refreshed, especially if you have insomnia? That's one thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or are you using the practice as a means to to, uh, move towards more awareness and awakeness in your life? Yes, I raised right, I raised my hand twice, <laughs> for, but, <laughs> but uh, right? yeah. And so this is why I I say that it's the healing salve for the world is because it's an accessible practice for anyone and everyone. Right. And there's so many different ways in which you can do it, and so many, you know, benefits uh, that the practice has, and so. Um, I think people just need to decide what is it that they want from the practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder right now, um, given the extremely high levels of anxiety and fear related to this global pandemic that is revealing our human interconnectivity like perhaps nothing else, Um, I wonder how this practice can be applied and how it might be more important than ever. And and I'll couch that in saying that I've done a number of podcasts on coronavirus and COVID-19, and my approach has been kind of highly empirical. It's like, well, the more information people have about the science the more uncertainty is relieved. And, and, I, I, and that's a legitimate approach because I think people need scientific information and not just watch cable news networks that are sensationalist and, you know, et cetera. But this is actually, I feel, coming at it from a completely different 
perspective, and this is so relevant right now to so many people. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about its relevance um, in relation to the current global situation. Yes. I mean, what I would say is it's a practice that couldn't be more relevant right now uh, for a number of reasons. One is because we all need to be rested so that we can have the best immune system possible, right? And we already know that rest and sleep help boost our immunity. So that's one. Yep. Two, I would say that exactly what we talked about before, about being able to be tuned in to our intuition and our discernment and our clarity and to be able to see when the mind is thinking, when the mind is in fear, and to be able to establish ourselves a little bit more in a place of clarity. Because right now what I'm sensing is uh, confusion because the only source of information that we have is from mostly going online, looking up information, looking at the news. And a lot of times we're getting different information that's conflicting, Mm -hmm. right? And so in order, we need to take a break from the overload of information, almost like a reset. And I feel like Yoga Nidra is a powerful reset. Um, So for immunity, for relaxation, for being able to, you know, we know that you can never, there's no such thing as catching up on sleep, right? Um, But I've been hearing from people that they are having sleepless nights, right? So the perfect thing to do in the middle of the day, I would say like around 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, if you can, is practice yoga nidra so that your body can get, get some deep rest and deep relaxation. And then when you awaken from your practice, when you come out of your practice, then you can just have a clear mind. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, when you're in your mind, the truth always has a story. And when you're in the emptiness, the truth just is. There's no story. <laughs> and it's, it's, very, it's, it's very hard to uh, sometimes elucidate because it is a, it is a feeling, it is a sensation, it's, a, it's an essence. Because I, I've been meditating regularly now for about six months and just like anything that you do often um, to the degree that you can be better at meditation I feel like I can drop in with greater ease and I can 
sometimes pop into that place where the truth just is. It doesn't require a story or someone else's story or a justification of some other story. It just is. And then back I am again <laughs> into my old animal self, right. you know, needing to eat and drink and, you know, snuggle up right. with my wife and, and all this stuff. <laughs> and so, so you, you bring up a great point. And so when you recognize truth, truth has a vibration. Hmm. And that frequency of that vibration is different than you thinking, and it's different than the story. And so the more you can practice, whether it's meditation or it's yoga nidra, you attune yourself to that vibration of truth. You begin to know that vibration. And anything that's not that vibration, you also know that. And so I feel like, you know, this it's an attuner for us to be able to drop into that vibration that's closer to truth and further away from our own thoughts. Um, and, and that's, you know, obvious. And that's the thing is that yoga nidra is a full system of yoga in itself. Hmm. It's a full system of yoga. It takes you through all of the eight limbs. So if that was the only quote unquote yoga that you could do, for the day. That's enough. Hmm. I wonder what you think your role is in society right now. And, and I might, to take the pressure off, you might just say the role of the teacher, but you're welcome to personalize it, uh, given everything that we've talked about. Um, well, I can tell you that mm, what I feel like part of my role is, um, and I can't speak for anybody else, uh, but it's exactly what we've been talking about this entire time. So you, you talked about the mind, and we've talked about the koshas, right, and the, the Russian dolls, and the mind, that which is called manamaya kosha, is something that we want to be able to kind of transcend that. Um, so to go back to the Russian dolls metaphor, if the innermost Russian doll has that brilliant light inside of it, right, and there's another Russian doll and another Russian doll and another Russian doll, and then the last Russian doll is on the outside. When you look at that, those Russian dolls, when you see the, the big Russian doll, you don't have any idea that there's anything else inside there. Right? But if you happen to know that, oh, you know what, this is a nesting set. There's other dolls in here. There's a little doll that's going to be at the center. <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. you know that. But if you don't know that there is a light, inside, that there's a brilliant light that's 10,000 times more brilliant than the sun, then you don't know that. And so the practice of yoga is to help us to start to, let's say, thin out, for lack of a better way of describing it, those coverings mm. so that the light of the soul can shine through. Yeah. And so that we can remember without having to use our minds 
that light and that we can connect to that light. And so for me, I feel like my part of why I'm here is to be able to remember my, for myself through my own practice every day and then to be able to share whatever I can in a way that it helps to let that light shine through. Mm-hmm. And that inherently means that you're moving through being able to see the mind thinking, to understand the stories that we all have, and to give people tools to be able to help them unwind those stories and then sadhanas to be able to establish yourself in the place where you know the story is a story and that you want to move towards a different story because we're, we're constantly choosing one story or another. The question is, which story are you going to choose? Yeah. And right now, given that the civically responsible way to live one's life is to engage in social distancing or social isolation, however you want to think about it, um, how does one access these teachings that are so important that essentially provide you with that sadhana? Well, I mean, the the wonderful thing is right now, this moment, that there's um, a lot of people sharing. There's a lot of people sharing online their wisdom, and there's a lot of people that have been sharing. So I would say that you want to find um, teachers that you know have been steeped in their own practice, Uh, because, you know, at the same time uh, we're all sharing, you want to get a practice. You don't need to have a million practices. You just need one good practice, and then you need to do it. Right. So I would say don't get distracted by all of the kind of shiny objects that are happening. <laughs> find, one, find one practice and do it consistently. Hmm. Dedicate yourself to that practice. That is, an, that is like such an incredibly great piece of advice, and I'll tell you why. Because I have thrown away my night table and or my nightstand and instead it's just like a pile of about 50 different books arranged like a a small city cityscape (laughs) and um and i am attracted to all the shiny objects just because i'm curious and you know i'll read you know everything from like i said michael singer to deepak chopra to gabor mate to Caroline Mace to all, you know, the gamut. And, and I will, um, I kind of, I feel like sometimes I'm spiritually speed dating or something. Um, and, but when I do stick to a singular and simple and consistent practice, that is where I find, I guess, this kind of peaceful groove I know I heard David G once say he was giving a sort of a meditation, a lecture on meditation. Um, and he said something funny. He's like, you know, you can't brush your teeth for three hours the day before you go to the dentist and expect great results. <laughs> he was like, this is something 
that you do every day for a couple of minutes. And um, I've tried to heed that advice. Um, and that's really great advice because the consistency is the thing that becomes cumulative. So the practice is cumulative. It's, it, it doesn't need to be an hour long every day. You could literally meditate for three minutes in the morning and three minutes before you go to sleep, but make it consistent and be, have a sense of devotion, you know, a sense of gratitude, a sense of love for yourself. And use that as the, the, the fertile soil that you're kind of planting your practice in. Yeah. You mentioned something, and just kind of in summary, I wanted to bring it up. You said a lot of people are sharing right now. And I, I wonder if you think that kind of amidst this global crisis, if there is a a seed of our better angels coming forth, sort of a reprioritization that people are feeling. And we haven't yet seen as of this date, March 19th, the worst results of the pandemic, which may unfold over the next month or two. Um, but I wonder if you feel that there is a, I wonder if you're optimistic about some form of new, world story emerging. Yeah, I'm totally optimistic because on the one hand, we can say that we know that we'll never be the same. We'll never be the same after this pandemic is over. All of our lives are going to be affected in one way or another. And so we get to choose right now in some way, what do we want to start working on to be a better person in the world, regardless of the outcome? And I, I feel like that fire and maybe that question is informing a lot of the sharing because there's so many people that I know who would tell me, oh, I, I don't do technology. I don't want to know how to do Zoom. I never want to be on camera. I don't want to do... And they, have, they are figuring it out, and they have moved beyond the fear and the self-doubt and everything else to put their teachings forward because they know they're valuable and they know that they can help people. So what I feel like is happening is we're holding, two par we're holding the opposites, right? We're holding the great fear of the unknown, the fear for our families, for our livelihoods, for everything that is to come that we have no way of knowing. And then the, also the fear that our story, the story that we've been holding about ourselves is true. Right. But instead of deciding that the story that I've had, that I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. I'm not cute enough. I don't have enough teachings. I don't have enough. This we've decided to say, hell no, I'm moving forward and I'm stepping into my power right now because I want to be able to have a legacy because I don't know what the future is going to hold. So let me take my gifts and let me put them out right now so that people can be touched by them and that I can do something in the world 
that's meaningful because I've kind of been hiding mm-hmm. and it's time for me to come out of hiding. So that's what I see happening. Yes. And yes. in that, it's a huge amount of creativity. It's creativity that people have been hiding for whatever reason. That's time to come forward. So it's a paradigm shift that's happening on many different levels. And the one that I am seeing in this moment on March 19th, 2020, is that we are moving beyond our fear of being seen. And we are stepping into our power and we're claiming our gifts and we're giving them to the world. That's what I see. Hmm. Well, that is a beautiful and hopeful observation. And, um, and the way that you articulate it resonates with me. Um, a lot. And I will say just in summary that, um, that I know you well, um, but I know so many people that have been deeply moved and transformed by you and your teachings. And, uh, I know that this growing community is very, very grateful for you. So thank you for, for, being you and and for your work and for your fearlessness and for that empowering message that you just shared. Thank you for listening to today's show. To learn more about Tracy Stanley and her work, go to tracyyoga.com. That's T-R-A-C-E-E yoga.com. And check out her course, Deep Relaxation, at onecommune.com slash course. It's one of our favorite courses. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, please shoot me an email at jeffk at onecommune.com. I always appreciate hearing from you, and I always do my best to get back to everyone. So that's it from the Commune for this week. I'm Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.